0: Some places like Silicon Valley and New York generate lots of innovation, but restrictive housing policies make them super pricey for many Americans who would want to move there. Other cities have the opposite problem and are struggling to attract the businesses and workers they need to thrive. Today, I'm speaking with Alain Berthaud to discuss how policymakers and urban planners should respond to these challenges and how they can do so by paying attention to market forces. Alain is a senior research scholar at the Marin Institute at NYU, and he's the former principal urban planner for the World Bank. He's also the author of Order Without Design, How Markets Shape Cities. Alan, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you for inviting
0: me. The book's title uh, comes from uh, Hayek's Fatal Conceit, and I'm going to quickly read the passage uh, that it comes from for the audience. Although I attack the presumption of reason on the part of socialists, my argument is in no way direct against reason properly used. By reason properly used, I mean reason that recognizes its own limitations and itself taught by reason faces the implications of the astonishing fact revealed by economics and biology that order generated without design can far outstrip plans men consciously contrive. Now, that is the passage. Now, this Hayekian observation or, or, or truth, how does it help us fix? pricey San Francisco, or congested Manhattan, or prevent the decline of a of a city like Detroit? Uh,
1: let's start with the first two cities. A lot of the problems in those two cities are in fact coming from two things. One, regulations which make it very difficult to build anything practically except the most expensive building, and second, a lack of investment in infrastructure, which uh, will allow a much larger area to uh, to be put on the market. So, in a certain way, the, the first uh, I can think will be, of course, the regulation. Regulation are due to planning, uh, basically urban planners deciding that they want to shape a city. You know, originally. Land use regulation were just to prevent uh, negative externalities, for instance, uh, you know, shadows maybe. Uh, also, you, you were not allowed traditionally to dump dirty water in the in the lot of your neighbor or something like that. You know, mm-hmm. good neighbors policy. This has been abandoned, I think, relatively recently. Probably in I mean, in New York, I will uh, date it to 1960, where suddenly the, in a way the planners were running out of externalities because technology removed a lot of them. So they decided, many of them, by the way, are are many planners, are engineers or architects like like myself. And they had this ambition of, why don't we design a city the way we design a building? And many of those regulations now are not here to prevent externalities, but to design uh, design a city the way uh, the planners decide uh, will be efficient. And that again, we run into the IACN system that, you know, uh, not declaration that uh, the planners just don't know enough to decide where the high density should be, where the low density should be, where the, where the low income people live, or things like that. And so, in their ambition to shape the city, they create, in fact, a, a straitjacket uh, into within which the, the city cannot grow. And then, of course. Uh, especially the lowest income people have no, no room to exist practically because of the, the high cost of uh, developing anything. Now, there is a, a third uh, aspect, uh, which is also, I think, date back to about 30, 40 years, which is a, a, in the Western democracy, an extension of property right uh, from your own lot to the property of your neighbors. And at the same time, it decrease in your pro- in property right within your own lot. So you see there is a kind of a diffusion of property right and confusion of property right. Uh, I accept that a planner tells me you cannot operate a restaurant within your, uh, your lot or right. you are limited to two floor and not three. But so this is a limitation of my property right. But... At the same time, our system allow me to say, I don't want a uh, a grocery store uh, within hundred meters from my house. Uh, I don't want a four story building uh, within um, you know five hundred feet from my apartment. Uh, so this and, and this property right, extended property right is only a negative property right. You know, I I cannot say, oh, I would like to have a school there or a, uh, or an hospital, I cannot say that. I can say only I don't want it. So I think this, in a way, paralyses uh, any spontaneous uh, development, which respond to uh, always changing conditions.
0: Now I gave you the uh, uh, third third city in that fantastic question of mine, which is a slightly different case, but uh, right. but uh, and it's a tough one too about Detroit. Is there is is was that was there something? That something else that could have been done, is that just bad bad planning, uh, no planning? Because that seems to be the result of, uh, of, 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 a, of market forces, in a way, that city declined because of a changing economy. So what, what could have been done there?
1: My understanding is that a lot of the problem of Detroit was just uh, bad management uh, at the city level. You know? But you know, when, when there was a change in the labor market, they, they didn't adapt uh, they they froze uh, what they were they were doing you know right now even they keep uh, insisting about collecting property taxes uh, on buildings which have no value anymore you know things like that so I think this is a, a more a question of mismanagement than anything else mm-hmm. what makes me think that is that the counties around Detroit are doing quite well it's only within Detroit that the things are are very uh, deteriorated so I think it's more a question of management than uh, the traditional land use and of course uh, the the remedy which have been brought so far as far as I know uh, are things like for instance uh, a, a light rail or something like that or or transforming uh, uh, abandoned lot into gardens and you know mm-hmm. th- these are not serious things you know when a, when a city is, t- is hit by such a such a change, and you know, in a way, Detroit is a good example of what happens when a city is unable to adapt very quickly to external shocks. I, I give in my book a lot of example of uh, cities adapting to external shock, like say Hong Kong, for instance, uh, and uh, or Singapore. And and cities which are unable to do it, uh, you know, Detroit is a good example. Uh, Mumbai is another one. Change is in the essence of cities. Any plan which prevents change, uh, or, or let's say promote change in a direction which is which was decided twenty years ago or thirty years ago, is is a is a big liability for a city.
0: But cities will continue to plan and try to plan, and they'll hire. Urban planners. So how so? How do you, yeah, at some I, level, I, plan a city while also paying attention to the key forces of markets and the signals markets are sending you through yeah. prices? How how do yeah. mayors? How do they take advantage of the uh, of markets? Yeah, in order to I, run their cities.
1: Yeah, I'm not at all against planning. I'm a planner myself. I don't want to get out of business. <laughs> yeah. I uh, I think there are two areas in a city. One is what is done by people, you know, cities. Uh, city is not about roads and sewers and and thing. It's about people. Huh? The, the the wealth of city is made by the people who are in the city and who are taking uh, initiative. And those initiative should be let as free as possible. So in a way, you cannot plan what the people will do in your city. However, you should provide the infrastructure which will support those activities. This infrastructure is not coming by itself. For instance, if uh, you have a city which is uh, very likely to grow from 1 million to 2 million, you you have better, uh, you know, look at, for instance, how much water you will need 20 years from now and plan and, and by the way, recover the money tax or bonds in order to finance this water supply. This is unlikely to come uh, by itself. So uh, the planner has a very important role to play. Uh, For instance, uh, uh, at your first question, I was uh, answering the the question of uh, infrastructure, which was not developed and transport infrastructure in particular correctly. Uh, This transport infrastructure has to be Created from top down, you know, you you don't have a, a grassroots uh, forces would create a metropolitan infrastructure, and uh, this infrastructure has to be developed so that there is sufficient land to be developed on the market with enough flexibility so it can meet the growing population or the growing number of jobs. So you see, planning is very important. My, uh, you know, my problem with planners is that they try to plan what is happening within your lot and they don't plan enough what will serve what is uh, being developed within a lot. Typically, you know, you have the, the mayor of uh, New York who is saying that, uh, you know, in an interview. Uh, that uh, he would like to control uh, the height of each building, the amount of floor space everybody consumes, and their income, and at the same time, he doesn't pay any attention to the the garbage uh, bags which accumulate on the sidewalk of New York in the evening and obstruct the sidewalk. You know, so th- this is uh, you know my. Contention that a, a mayor should be a, a very good janitor, not a not an inspired genius, but just a good janitor.
0: What What are uh, examples of well plans plans that seem to be paying attention to what people are actually doing in the city and what they'll need to do those things? What, in at least in, in advanced economies are there? What are the good examples of, of those kinds of cities?
1: Well, uh, for instance, uh, let's say it seems that uh, cities in the, in the Sun Belt, especially in Texas, are doing relatively well. For one good reason, I think, uh, not because I think people are smarter there, but uh, because they have a, a system to to adjust the infrastructure based on demand rather than plans. You know, they, they are able to issue bonds to develop infrastructure. So that's, I think, is one system. Uh, another city, but, uh, you know, it's, it's a little different, is, is Singapore. Singapore is doing extremely well because they monitor very, very carefully what they are doing. Now, in terms of land use, it's a little special because uh, it's a city-state. They have a very limited supply of land. So in a way, it's not a very good example there of a market-driven city, but everything else is uh, market-driven. And uh, the municipality of Singapore, the government of Singapore, they monitor what is happening in Singapore very, very carefully. As soon as they see prices going up or traffic being constrained uh, or, or pollution they
0: immediately
1: react with something you know they, they, they are very active of what is happening in the city rather than to say we have a plan and we stick to it.
0: Um, I mean a lot of focus on cities uh, have been on sort of these high productivity cities. they're expensive. Uh, we probably want more people to, to move to these cities uh, San Francisco, yes. New York. Uh, but there's a lot of cities which don't seem to be doing as well, and you have the mayors of these cities trying to think of ideas. Maybe they can somehow become a tech hub if they, have, if they build enough incubators and there's enough pub- public-private partnerships. Uh, what sort of advice do you give to cities which aren't on the coast and sort of the broad Midwest, which you know, aren't tech hubs? You know, it's very difficult to become a tech hub. And What is their yes. sort of alternate path to relevancy going forward?
1: I think that uh, the, the ease of doing business is a uh, is a probably the the best attraction. Probably also trying to improve the environment within the city uh, in terms of uh, amenities. You know, if you want to attract people, uh, you know, of high productivity, which are usually techies or uh, the the quality of the environment is a way of doing it, but. At the same time, ease of doing business—that means getting a building permit uh, very quickly, uh, allowing variation in in building uh, in standards. Uh, I have uh, one example, uh, not 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 an American one, but uh, of an approach like that. I like two example actually, one in India, where Bangalore was uh, really the the city which. Uh, attracted the most uh, tech industry and was very successful uh, for many years and the city of hyderabad which is about 400 500 miles from uh, from uh, bangalore um, had also this ambition and one thing they did was to completely liberate uh, land use regulation in terms of um, floor ratio while investing in infrastructure this was very successful and they are now a very, very serious competitor with uh, Bangalore, you know, again, by uh, by offering something that Bangalore didn't offer. Uh, another city was a, uh, that I saw uh, in terms of development was a, a relatively small city in, in Sichuan, in province in China. You know, they had already a, an industry of uh, flat screen. They were doing a lot of flat screen, mm-hmm. and the mayor realized that they, they wanted to expand that. But to expand that, they needed to be able to attract techies from uh, from the the coast, you know, from Shanghai or, or or Shenzhen. And how do you do that? So the mayor decided that there are two things that will attract those techies in this small town of Sichuan. One was excellent schools for their children, and second, a good environment, you know, uh, an air air which was not polluted and things like that. And he concentrated on those two things, and it it did work. So you see, there there is a, uh, in those two cases, the planning was not to say, we want to to have a new Silicon Valley there. It was to say, what is it in the public realm? What is it that a city can do you know so first make it easy to come you know by and to build second provide some amenities uh, which are really the the domain of the city you know the forces pollution is uh, is a domain of the city uh, uh, creating attractive well designed parks is a domain of the city well,
0: well it seems to me that you think of cities and i think you've written this that you think of them as labor markets right. do, do do most City planners and mayors view cities as labor markets, and that sort of is a is a place to, to start when you're thinking about what kind what you should be doing with your city.
1: Absolutely not. So most of the time, when I visit a city, I feel that most planners think the city is some kind of Disneyland. You know that it it should be beautiful uh, within their own thing. That uh, on the contrary, even uh, I think that they they will never say we we don't want more jobs, but very often they will put constraint on the development of the city, which result in saying we don't want more jobs. You know, in a way, the uh, what happened with Amazon in uh, in New York was, was a good example of that. Uh, in a, you know the even the mayor at the end say uh, we don't want uh, high income people going there because it will increase the price of housing. Uh, we, which will be true in the context of zoning of uh, of New York because there is so much con- constraint on what you can build. But the solution was, of course, to remove the constraints, not to prevent the people from
0: coming. Well, that, that, that's a, sort of an interesting question. I know I know economists generally frown upon the idea of these of, of cities offering very generous you no know, tax breaks. Oh yeah, I'm not for tax breaks at all. No. I, but me, not, but do you think yeah. if you if Given sort of the promise of Amazon that we're going to bring twenty five thousand jobs to your city, and that these people will eventually start their own businesses, and it's sort of a tech hub in a box idea, would you? Was there anything special, about Amazon, if you had been a city official in Northern Virginia or the mayor of New York, would you have made an exception for Amazon?
1: Uh, no, uh, <laughs> I I think uh, I think that's by the way Amazon. I, I'm not sure, but I think that they knew exactly where they were going before making this big competition. Uh, you know, a, a company like Amazon doesn't look at itself because they have a discount on taxes on something like that. I don't believe so. Not, to, you know, if it was, say, warehouse, maybe, but not for high tech So they knew already. I think that the city, rather than offering a a rebate on property tax. I think it's a terrible sin for a city to offer a rebate on property tax to a specific company. I mean, if they want to lower property tax, that's fine to everybody. But I don't see why you will lower the property tax of Amazon and increase it for a baker or a drugstore. You know, it doesn't make sense. So I think that's what the city should have done. Concentrate again on the infrastructure, saying, yes, we are going to to invest in our subway system, or we are going to create a new ferry uh, between Manhattan and, and Queens and things like that. That's uh, the area where they are strong. Uh, rather than, uh, you know, try to attract them by by gift, like, uh, you know, I, I don't think that was the right approach. But uh, what bothers me most was the, in a way, the reaction of the, the people uh, taking for granted that they will always be a constraint on the supply of housing mm-hmm. in New York, and in fact, this constraint is completely artificial. You know, I, I think I describe in my book in some part uh, uh, the craziness of uh, the complexity of the zoning in New York, and uh, where in fact this this is precisely the problem which has been solved. You know, the idea that you reject high-income people in a city because it will increase the price of housing is completely crazy. Uh, you know, the, the low income people depends on the high income people coming here. So you have to, to supply for everybody. You know, for me, the test of affordability is, uh, uh, is a school teacher. You know, school teachers are absolutely indispensable to the life of a city. If you have a city like New York or San Francisco, where a school teacher cannot afford a house unless uh, he or she commute uh, two hours to, to the place of work, uh, there's something wrong with the system, you know. They, it's, it's not a question of welfare or distribution or thing like that. You have a system which doesn't work, and you have to reform it.
0: Do you expect technology, in particular, uh, self-driving cars, or perhaps some other things more far out, things like hyperloops, to change cities, uh, to change transportation?
1: Uh, yes, yes. I think that uh, the the mix of transport modes, uh, in particular. Having some, you know, very rapid link like hyperlink or let's say a super fast train, combined with station to door and door to station means of transport like, you know, a, uh, a self-driving Uber, you know, or or even uh, scooters or things like that, which would be combined in the same trip. You know, at this moment we have a complete separation of modes. You know, either you take your car or you take the subway, or, or you take the subway and a bus. And this is not very efficient. What you need is a transport system which uh, takes you at your door, bring you to either the door of your job or to a very rapid transit system which will bring you to the other side of the city in 10 minutes. And then you will have there another mode of transport which will uh, be individual or or shared by very few people, and will bring you to the door of your uh, or your thing.
0: My guest today has been Alain Berto. Alain, thanks for coming on the podcast.
1: Okay, thank you.